You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 7? Romans 7 is going to be our text today. If you are in 7, no doubt this is going to be an easy task for you. But we will begin our time today in chapter 6, although 7 is going to be the portion that we look at as the main part of our text today. But as you are turning there, I want to remind you of the week of prayer. I know you've heard it. Hopefully this is about the third time you have heard it since you've walked into this room. But hopefully this isn't the first day you've heard about it because we kick off our week of prayer Tonight, every night at 6.15, tonight through Friday, we will be meeting in the chapel, okay? So in the chapel every night, except for Wednesday. Wednesday, we will meet in the venue where we will share a meal from 5 to 6.15. It's kind of like our normal meal, so uh, you can come at any point and come and eat, and then we will begin our time of prayer uh, at that moment. So if you want more information about the week of prayer, go to broadmoor.org forward slash events and click on the first event. You'll see the week of prayer icon. Just go ahead and click that. Our theme this year is serve from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where we see that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve, uh, that he might give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, And so that is our theme for this year. As we are, as a church body walking through, we want to serve. We we want to, to serve our Lord. We want to serve one another in the household of faith. And we want to serve those who are not yet into the kingdom because we pray that it is through our service that they see the graciousness of our king and that is his kindness leading them into repentance. So tonight we kick off that week of prayer and we're going to be praying specifically for the mission we believe God has called us to as a church body. Each night we'll have a different um, sub theme as it were, but tonight is specifically service through our mission that God has given to us. 615, see you tonight in the chapel. It's going to be great. Are you ready? We jump in today to Romans chapter 7. Now, I said we're going to start in 6, and that's going to come in just a second. But let me be clear. This Sunday and next Sunday, not just because I am preaching it, but just this chapter, chapter 7. We're going to take two, two weeks to cover this chapter. I believe this is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible. I believe it answers questions that live inside of us that we would never dare ask, although you should ask them. You you should find safe places and safe people to ask the questions in their heart because here's the deal. If the questions are there, they're never going to go away. And you're just going to wrestle with that doubt in your heart. And so as we get into this chapter today and then the next Sunday, here's the question that kind of comes into our mind. I know that Christ has set me free, right? Amen. We, We know that. So why do we as Christians still sin? And I think the even, the even darker place that that question lives in our heart, I know that Christ has set me free. I know that. I know that's what the Bible tells me. But why do I still love some sins? Why? why? Because I know the Bible tells me to stay away from this. Do I want to run to it even more? Why do I know that I've seen it wreck lives and change generations in a bad way? Why do I still want to run to that thing and embrace it like it's my own? You see where I'm saying you're probably not going to ask that question out loud, but no doubt it's in every one of our hearts at some point in our life, more than likely right now, today. And God is gracious enough to give us answer in his word that as we look to this text today, it is going to begin to set the stage for us to, to get an answer. 
And not only to get an answer, but to see the remedy and to live in the freedom that that remedy has provided for us. Another way to hear it is why do we love what we should hate? And if hate is too strong for you, then then this, why do I neglect what I should love the most? So, So here's kind of the real, real wrestling, the tension point. As believers, we consider on a Sunday morning and amen what I say and amen the songs that we sing and go to life group and feel built up and edified. And that's a good thing. That's a right thing. But then we leave here and we get back to our everyday life and we find ourselves running to the things that we shouldn't and not running to the things that we should. We find ourselves loving the things that bring death to us and running from the things that bring life to us. And that's a strange thing. And I know that if you were talking in a moment, you would say, well, well, pastor, that that can't be right. That that shouldn't be right. And I would affirm that, that that can't and shouldn't be right, but it is there. So what do we do with that? So so that's where we are in chapter 7. Chapter 7 gets to the core of this. The apostle Paul begins to answer this question, and he begins to teach in a way that that hopefully brings clarity and, and freedom. With that being said, We need to jump into chapter 6 real quick and just be reminded of the first four verses, okay? So chapter 6 of Romans, verses 1 through 4, here's what they say. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died still live in sin? There's the question. How can we keep sinning if we're in Christ? Here's what Paul says. Do you not know that All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Jesus was raised from from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You guys were able just to see a beautiful picture of it as we began the service today. We are buried with Christ in baptism, and we are raised to walk in the newness of life. And it is in that newness of life that we are going to find our answer. So the question must be, what is newness of life? What, what is the new way that God calls us to live? And in that is where we pick up in chapter 7 today. So go to Romans 7, verse 1 and following. Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, Paul is addressing the group. Now, now whoever reads this, remember, this is a letter. This is a letter going to the church at Rome, but in all of Paul's cases, they are circular letters, meaning that they are going to go to this group of believers and then go to this group of believers and to another group of believers, all in that same region. And so when he is speaking to them, he is speaking specifically to the saved person. Now, Now, remember what the issue is. Going all the way back to the beginning, why does Paul write the letter to the church at Rome? Because there is a deep division among believers. And the division goes as deep as their grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. It is, what's the best way? The Jewish way or the Gentile way? Do you need to keep the law or do you not need to keep the law? And so they are a church who is divided. And so Paul is writing a letter and he is giving to them the only thing that can unite a divided church, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as he is writing, he is helping them understand that the law is good, but the law does not save. The Jews are blessed, but they are not better. 
For it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter who your grandparents were. It doesn't matter the family that you were born into. Everybody is saved the same way, and it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this today, Paul is going to begin to speak more about the law. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So he's, he's speaking to primarily all Jews, because they should know the law. This is, this is the, the law that God has given to their, their ancestors, and they have followed for generation after generation. But he's also speaking to some of the Gentiles who would know as well. And it's, this is what he says. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. All right, so Paul tells them that he's speaking to those who understand the law, that the law is binding to a person as long as that person is alive. And when they die, they are set free. So with that, Paul moves into an illustration that the Jews and the Gentiles would fully understand. It's an illustration concerning marriage. Now, before I get into this illustration, I want you to be clear because people do proof text to this passage all the time. Do you know what a proof text is? It is when you have an idea in your mind and you say, what does the Bible say about this thing? And so you flip to, maybe you're using your concordance in the back of your Bible. That's the, the thing that you didn't maybe know what the name of it was, but there's like a word and then there's a verse uh, address next to it. Uh, that, that's called a concordance. It's absolutely great. But if you're looking up the word marriage and you're saying, this is where I'm getting my idea about marriage, that is like proof texting. It's this idea that we're just going to cherry pick a verse and build our case around it. Or even worse, we're going to pick a verse to make our case sound better. Now understand what Paul is going to say about marriage here is absolutely 100% correct. But he's not speaking about marriage here. He's speaking about the covenant that God has with his people and the law that he has trusted to them. So it is going to be easy for you, and the reason I'm building all of this up, when I jump in, it's going to be easy for your mind to chase rabbits and say, well, what about this? And what about this in marriage? But what about this scenario? That's not for today. That's for a whole nother day. This is about the law. This is, this is about being tied to the law. With that being said, let's go to verse two. Here's the illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now, in this illustration, just to make it crystal clear, the law here is represented in the illustration by the husband. And those who are under the law is represented by the wife, or, or the one married to the husband, which makes her the wife. And Paul said that a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. So again, in this illustration, who's the he? It's the law. So Paul adds... Some color commentary here. If the husband dies, she is free from her marriage covenant to go and be with somebody else. Here is more of that color commentary to help under understand the weight of everything going on. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not in an adulteress. All right, so in the illustration, if the wife leaves her husband before he dies and commits to someone else, she will be considered an adulteress. The point of all of this in this illustration 
is to say that that person who leaves the one they were committed to and goes to commit themselves to somebody else is not a good thing. Why? Because your commitment to the other one still stands. Now again, this is where you're going to start chasing rabbits about marriage. This illustration isn't about marriage, it's about the law. Hang with me. We'll have a marriage sermon another day. But as we understand this, this is what we need to understand. Paul is painting a picture that the law represents the husband here. And as long as the husband is alive, the wife is connected to him. And there's nothing she can do about it. Now, let me be clear. This was the law of that day. This woman had no right to get out. Again, this is not a sermon about marriage. What Paul is saying is, even if you wanted to get away from the law, you couldn't. And we're, we're going to get a deep dive in just a second into why that is a really important thing. But because the covenant was there, because God establishes that covenant, it is going to take the him, the male, the, the, the head, to die for the wife to be released. So in this scenario, the law is the husband and we are the wife. And until the law dies, we are still tied to it. Well, there's a big issue. Here's the issue. The law can't die. The law won't die. Do you guys remember when Jesus was, was kind of getting into his ministry and people started to understand who he was? Somebody comes to Jesus and said, did you come to abolish the law? What did he say? I didn't come to abolish it. I came to what? To fulfill it. The law can't die. The eternal God gave the law. Therefore, the law is eternal. So if the law can't die, and this is the illustration, then those who are tied to the law are in really bad shape. If the only way out of the law, and here, here's why that's a big deal, the law is going to point out your sinfulness. And the more it points it out, it's going to do something in you, and I'll speak to that in just a second. But to know in this moment, the reason for wanting to, to leave the law and find something else is because the law is so overbearing for those who are under it. No one has been able to keep the law. No one is righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is, is death. That's why the law is so heavy. That's why it's so weighty. That's why there would be people who would say, I don't like the law. I want to go somewhere else. Well, here's the deal about the law. The law didn't just apply to the Jewish nation. It applies to humanity. It applies to all of God's creation. And when God created us and we fell short of that law, there was a natural thing that happened. Death entered the world. That's been the buildup up until this moment in Romans. And so here we see Paul giving this illustration. This woman will never be free to go and be with somebody else. She will always be stuck to this law until this, this law dies. But he can't die. The only thing that she could ever hope for, and this is where it becomes sad, is for her to die and to end the pain of, of the law. And you would say, well, Josh, this is not positive, encouraging. Caleb, what are you doing? Oh, but there's hope. Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also have died to the law 
through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So in this scenario, here here it is, the law is going to have to die to be able to be away from it. Because if we die, it's over and there's no good given to us. But there's got to be something else. There's got to be a better way. God provides a way to be set free from the law. So we die to self in Christ and we're raised to new life that we may live. That's the good news of the gospel. And so as we see this, Paul is saying, but brothers and sisters, we have died. We are set free. The law does not hold us any longer. We're set free from this law, but it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We were buried with Christ in baptism, and we were raised to walk in new life. This is a beautiful thing. The result of this new union is fruitfulness for God. Christians only Because of the union that we have with Christ, we are no longer marked by the law, but we are marked by God himself. We are marked by Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. All right, so so maybe we we think, think about it this way. We are no longer marked by the things that we cannot do. And now we are marked by the things that we can do. We're no longer marked by the things that we failed at because that's what the law showed us. We're marked by the things that we are now called because somebody has successfully completed all the tasks that were set before us. So when we stand before God, he doesn't see failures in eyes of the law. He sees redemption through Jesus Christ, his son. This is beautiful, guys, as we see this. And you may sit here today and you say, wow, Josh, that's that's great, but I thought we were going to talk about why we keep sinning and we shouldn't. Right, but we needed that building block first to get our spiritual houses in order. And then, then we have two more verses, and, and they're, really, they're really big verses. Not, not in length of, of sentence, but in, in theology that is going to hopefully give you understanding of, of why you are the way you are, why you love what you love, and potentially where you stand before God today. So with that being said, let's jump in with with that building block in place. Let's jump into verse five. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. All right, there's a lot here, so let's walk through. Living in the flesh, whenever you see that written in the Bible, usually is used by the author to contrast what it would mean to be living in the spirit. So so followers of self would be living in the flesh. Followers of Christ would be living according to the spirit. So while we were living in the flesh, meaning prior to us coming to Christ, prior to the the spirit taking up residence inside of us, Acts 1-8, this is us. Paul says that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were at work in our members. Another word for body. So so our sinful passions all throughout our body, all we wanted to do was to sin. And that that, those passions and that that outworking of those desires is producing fruit for death. That's not good. That's not the worst part. Don't miss what Paul said in the middle of, of, of verse five. 
our sinful passions are at work in our bodies producing fruit for death was being aroused by what? What's your Bible say in verse 5? Aroused by the, the law. What law? God's law. Wait, time out. Josh, are you saying that God's law, God's word, technically when we speak of God's, God's law, it's the first five books of the Bible, okay? So, so we're talking about this right here. The law that God gives to Moses to give to the people that they might live in a way that brings glory and honor to God and good to them as they are going. That law is arousing in them sinful desires? What, what are we talking about here? Well, we'll get more into this next week and the rest of chapter 7, but I'll give you an example here. When somebody tells you don't do something or don't think about this thing, what do you immediately begin to do? Think about that thing. Don't look back there. Mm. Look, people are still like, what's he talking about? Hey, I know your phone just buzzed in your pocket. Don't check it. Hey, don't think about what you're going to eat for lunch already. Don't think how awesome those fajitas are at Guadalupe. I'm like, right, it's grumbling right now. It's happening. It's the law inside of us. You may say that's a behavioral law. No, no, that is something inside of us. When somebody tells us don't do this thing, it is natural for us to say, yes, I need to do that thing. Tell me don't think about that thing. That's all I'm going to think about. So when someone tells you don't do that thing, what are you naturally going to want to do to do that thing? Somebody tells you don't think about that thing. What are you naturally going to want to do? You're going to want to think about that thing. So the law without the power of Christ, arouses the sin nature in you. This is wild. This is why it is imperative that when we are evangelizing people, when we are sharing the good news of the gospel, we are sharing Jesus and not religion. Because if all we are doing is sharing rules, then we are setting them up for disaster. Because rules without Christ is disaster waiting to happen. Especially if we use the pure standard of the law that God has trusted to us. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot hold the weight of this law. It is the reason Christ came. Remember, the law was never meant to save. It was only meant to point out our great need for a great Savior. But if all you believed is that you just needed the law, that you could keep that perfect standard, Josh, you don't know what you're talking about. I can keep what's in there. Then you're dead already. Because even in that line of thinking, it's pride at its core. And that always becomes before the great fall, according to Proverbs 16, 18. But praise God, we don't have to live in that misery. We have been provided a way to freedom. Look at verse 6. But now, so, so we have the shift from, from where it was going, that there was a, a law in us, and it was arousing the sin nature in us. But now, something's changed from that. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. All right, so, so the law held us captive, meaning there was no way to escape its truth or reality. 
So just for clarification, hopefully you understand it already, but just to make sure everybody in this room is there. You cannot believe the law of God is true, but it's still true. Here's what I mean. There are people that live their life according to God's word, and they say, I believe that this is true, therefore I'm going to live this way. You may be here, or there may be other people that you know, and you say, well, Josh, I don't believe that that's true, therefore I'm going to live my life another way. Listen to me. Whether you believe this to be true or not does not change the fact that this is true. You don't get to stand before the Father one day. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us this, that it's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. You don't get to stand before God one day and say, well, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was true. I didn't believe that was right. Whether you believe it or not, it's still true. You can't escape it. Its truth is still there. Its reality is still there. The law is the law. It's a standard set by God, and so are the consequences of breaking that law. The wages of sin is death. Break the law, death comes. No one is free from it. The only way out is death. But praise God, he made a way. A way for us to die and yet live. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. So what's the outcome of giving your whole life to Christ? The good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the stuff you don't want anybody to know. What is the outcome that, that we receive and what is the outcome for the world when we give our life to Christ? What's the remaining part of, chap, uh, of verse 6 say? So that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, for those in Christ, we are no longer marked by the law, but we are fulfilled in Christ. So, so in this, there, there is no more trying to obtain all of the statutes of the law. We are free in Christ to live for his glory. Now, this is going to be strange because I've just spent 40 minutes trying to convince you that you are free from the law. And there may be folks in here today saying, that's fantastic. I don't have to listen to the Bible anymore. That's not what preacher's saying. Here's the wild thing about it. When you're free from the law, that's when we get to go back to it and see it a different way. Before Christ, you had to do this to live, and you still couldn't. So death was the only option. Now, you don't have to. Listen to me. You get to. You get to live according to God's will and his word for your life. But it's not something that's hard. It's not something that should be burdensome. It should be something that brings great joy to you. And this is where we're going to get into, okay, well then, where do I stand by how I feel? Now, to be clear, we should never let our feelings inform what we believe but our feelings are important. So for example, if you're here today and you find delight in reading God's word, not just for the sake of checking it off your list. You know, we're, we're eight days into the new year. And you're like, I haven't missed a day yet. Great. Okay. There's a lot more to go. But you enjoy reading it because you enjoy finding life as God is calling you to live in a specific way that's going to glorify him and bring good to you and to those that are around you. 
right? So, so that would be something that when we read, we listen, we pray, and we apply it to our life in order to say, God, thank you for this. This is life-giving to me. There's some, some, hopefully a lot. But then maybe there are other folk who would say, I find this word so difficult. Not difficult to read, because sometimes it is that. But difficult to keep. Difficult to do. Because I continue, there's something inside of me that wants to do what it's telling me not to do. And the things it's telling me I should love and desire and give my life to, those are the furthest things from my mind. What do I do now? Well, the first thing we do is we are honest about that. Where are you? Because hear me out. In the world we live in, you can play Christian. But I promise you a day is coming where playtime's over. And we're going to have to stand before holy God. And we're going to have to give an account for our life. And you're not going to be able to smooth talk your way out of that. He knows the depths of your heart, church. He knows the, the, the deepest desires that we have. So, so what do we do in that moment? Is it okay to wrestle with what I just said? And without jumping into next week's sermon, let me give you a snippet of it. Yes, it is okay. It is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. It is okay to not be okay. It's okay to, to, to wrestle with this life that we live because you are right now and not yet. Right now, you are justified before the Father. You are not yet fully sanctified. It's a process. So there's going to be a tension there. The question that we will come to a close with today is, what are you going to do in that tension? If we're not careful, this is why Paul addresses this over and over again in this section of Romans, there can be a thought, well, this is just who I am. My desires, they defined what I am and what I like, so I'm just going to be a slave to my desires. Should we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. You are not a slave to your desires. You are a slave to Christ. What you desire does not make you who you are. That was really heavy. Let me lighten it up two seconds as our worship team comes back up. We are eight days into clean eating. January 6th. Let's just, I just wanted to poll the room to see if I know some folks. Anybody from South Mississippi or South Louisiana? Anybody ever been to South Mississippi or South Louisiana? Fantastic. Do you know what January 6th is? It's epiphany. It's epiphany, right? So that, that would be our religious term. Do you know what else January 6th is? It's the official start of king cake season. And if you don't know what a king cake is, you're missing out on one of the Lord's best blessings. I don't know if that's what manna was like, but I feel like it had to be close. But I am eight days in, and for the most part, I want to be honest, the most part, 
I've done well. But my loving wife loves me. Who loves me? Love her. We were looking for some randazzos. We were looking for some Paul's pastry, like some of those well-known king cakes here. Had a seminary professor at New Orleans. She swore by Joe Gambino's king cakes. And she said, you never know what, I'm, what I found at Kroger. I said, what? Gambino's king cake. She said, do you want cream cheese or not? I said, is that even a question? <laughs> so she brought that bad boy home. And I looked at it. And we didn't eat it when you brought it home. We didn't eat it. We sat it on the, on the, on the island. And we just looked at it. And I just prayed, Lord, help me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For your name is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That was the morning, and then the night came. I just tasted it. It was good taste. And then my kids started enjoying it. Then I woke up the next morning. I thought, I'm going to have another taste with my coffee. That'll be great. And I was fine because it was there. And I, I felt like I was managing my cravings well. But then something happened. Yesterday afternoon, about one, not that I'm salty or no, the last piece was eaten. And I look over, and, and it was fine because I don't think my wife even had a taste of it because she is so disciplined. And I had a lot of taste of it. And my kids just smashed it. And I look over, and I see Mere Joy. Tears falling down her face. I mean, weeping, boo-hooing. Baby, what's wrong with you? Gideon ate the last piece of cake cake. Look, I tried to be a good dad in that moment. I was like, baby, don't, that's nothing to be crying about. But seriously, look, I'm over there going. Because <laughs> here's the deal. There was a strong desire in me to polish that bad boy off. It's a really silly illustration to help us understand. Ladies and gentlemen, as believers, as Christians, we are not formed by our feelings. We are not defined by what we desire. In this world, we are defined by Christ. And here's what you're going to learn. The more you grow in that, the more you mature in your relationship with him, you're going to find that your desires shift from worldly things to God himself. And that's what we have to remember in this. The law was always there. It was good to point out our need for salvation. It was never there to save. So for all those who said, all you need is the law, all you need to be is good and kind and be a good human, death. That life only leads to death. And there's no way out of it. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. You can't attend enough. There's got to be another way. The law's got to die or you got to die. And here's what I'm thankful about. God provided a way that before we taste physical death, there's an opportunity for new life. That only comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So the question I ask you today, who have you put your hope and trust in? It's the same question we ask those who are candidates for baptism right before we baptize them. Who have you put your hope and trust in? If that answer is anything other than Jesus Christ, it's a wrong answer. And it's going to lead to a bad life. So there's a call and an opportunity today to come and to trust the one who knows you fully and loves you completely. The opportunity 
to step away from the bondage of the law. It's there whether you believe it or not. You are in bondage to it. If you can't keep it, you're going to die, and you can't, so you will. So what do we do? We trust ourselves to the one who's kept it. We trust ourselves to the one who has fulfilled it. And we now walk in a new life. And it's abundant, and it's free, and it's good. So I'm asking you now, church, don't go another day of being religious. But walk with Christ every single day, loving his law, loving his word, because it is good, but it's only meant to point to him. Would you pray with me now as we move into this response time? Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to join together and to worship. Thank you for your word, God. I thank you, God, that even as we read the law, it compels us. It compels us to to holiness. It compels us to die to self. It compels us to, to live in a new and different way. But Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your sacrifice on the cross. I'm thankful, God, for you to call us to to live with you and to walk with you, for you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can get to the Father unless they come through you, not the law, not religion, not church attendance, not trying harder or doing better, but through you alone. So we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you move across this room and you set us free from being in bondage to this law as it arouses in us the sin nature that we cannot fight without your power in our life. So we ask now that you come and change us completely. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?